African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. that time of the day we bring you the friday edition of african dialogue it's the 26th of february 2021 greetings to all of you channel africans listening to us from all corners of the continent my name is ayanda mkwanazi you can listen to us on our dstv audio bouquet we're on channel 802 you can also live stream us on www.channelafrica.co.za Coming up on the program today, well, on our first segment, I'll be speaking to Edwin Ekoria. He is the one in Africa director. We're going to talk to him about COVID-19 vaccine access for African countries. Then we go to what's trending with Dumelo Zulu. Uh, Our last segment will be looking at the budget speech by South Africa's finance minister, Dito Mbowin. A lot of reactions from that speech. Uh, What can we take from that speech? What are the main points and what can South Africa learn as well going forward, looking at the adjustments that had to be done, a lot of money being channeled towards the vaccine access in South Africa. Let's start with our first segment now. I'll be speaking to Edwin Ekoria, who is one in Africa director. One is a global movement campaigning to end extreme poverty and preventable disease by 2030 so that everyone everywhere can lead a life of dignity and opportunity. More recently, the organization spoke out against vaccine nationalism that European countries were securing more doses than they needed. Uh, Before joining one in 2014, Edwin worked for the Development Impact Evaluation Unit of the World Bank. His advocacy work covers pro-poor policies and transparency in public finance, health, agriculture and food security, among other things. He joins us now live from Abuja, Nigeria. Thank you, Edwin, for giving us your time. Thank you so much for having me. How have you been keeping at this time? I don't think I've spoken to you this year. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you too. I'm keeping well and we're we're just um, adjusting to the new normal. What are some of the changes that you are seeing from that part of the world where you are in Abuja, Nigeria, uh, in terms of COVID-19? I would say that people are gradually adjusting to um, the reality that this um, virus is here with us. And some people still don't believe, some people, but the evidence is getting clearer as more lives are getting lost, high-profile personalities are dying from the virus. So that itself is having its own impact. Uh, You still see people wearing masks in in public spaces, and the enforcement too is getting higher in terms of making sure people are wearing masks. But um, generally, life is almost getting back to normal because there are no restrictions anymore. People are going about their businesses. Now, you sit from a, a, a perspective where you are able to make assessments and evaluations on the situation on the ground in terms of Africans and what they are going through and the challenges. Uh, how much has COVID-19 impacted the continent on a social and economic viewpoint? Uh, honestly, that is, the most, that is the most terrifying impact that uh, COVID has had in terms of our social and the economic fronts. Many, many people have lost their jobs. Many businesses are operating at below capacity. 
uh, families are not able to travel and meet with uh, family friends and we, we do, do uh, perform family functions. Again, as you know, Africans, we are very social. Um, as all kinds of ceremonies, uh, uh, you know, uh, happen here, weddings, burial, uh, those kind of celebrations. You see a, a, a you know, a, a different type of those kind of celebrations right now. But again, people are adjusting, uh, people are beginning to cope with this. Um, but the most, the most terrifying part is the economic impact because jobs are lost. Businesses are not getting back to normal as they should, and, and people are just struggling to find a new way or find ways of getting, uh, you know, means to earn a living. That is the most, that is the most significant part. And the government stimulus has not been enough, has been grossly inadequate, especially uh, in countries where they have very large population. It is really, really, um, you know, difficult. And uh, how long does it take, I mean, to rebuild uh, businesses, to rebuild economies? Because this is a very critical part of um, of a country. And if people have lost jobs and the economy itself is not creating the jobs that it needs, uh, it's very detrimental. Definitely. And that is, a, honestly, that is the biggest concern on the continent as we speak. Uh, the question is, how do we get... Um, you know, how do we get the, the, the needed stimulus? And that is why you see at one campaign we've been campaigning for, um, you know, debt relief for African countries. Because it is interesting to know that at this point in time, Africans are paying, or African governments are paying um, debts, paying back their debts uh, with as much as 70 to 85% of their revenues. That is the most difficult part in terms of the fiscal uh, space available for government to re-stimulate re the economies. And so, because that is not happening the way at the level it should, it is really prolonging the impact. And so we're basically calling this the time for global solidarity, this time for global support, like, you know, if there is debt relief to the point where African countries can stay for some time, gather themselves, you know, reinvest in their own economies to re-stimulate the economy, that is one. The other part is to issue, you know, um, uh, monies from, from, from the IMF called the SBL, the Special Drawing Rights. If that can be issued at this point, the way it was done during the 2008-2009 financial crisis, that itself would be a major, major package for African countries to have access to the liquidity they need. But again, it's, it's very tough to, to, to view things back. It's very tough to reopen you know, uh, businesses to the level they were before the pandemic. Mm. Recently, uh, one in um, your, the, 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 the organization, one your one in Africa director, you recently spoke out against um, vaccine nationalism. You know, accessing yes. vaccines is still a big challenge for African countries, um, and in yeah. some countries, if not most, it's a matter of affordability. What is the stance yeah. of of one in this uh, in this instance? Um, thank you. I think this is right at the moment. You know, when the house is on fire, you do everything you can to put out the fire before you do other things. And the, the fire we have right now is access to vaccines so that at least more people can get uh, um, vaccinated and then we can then be able to begin to recover. Now, in terms of vaccines, you've seen that the developed, the higher income countries, the rich countries, before the vaccines were made, had already put a, made a bet. They have invested heavily. They have procured or at least made commitments with manufacturers and those researching uh, in the research organizations that are trying to develop the vaccine. They have paid so much. What we see today is that many of these vaccines have succeeded. And because they have succeeded, we see that many of these rich countries have access to vaccines that are sometimes three to five times higher than their overall population. And this is the point we are making right now. 
that now that these vaccines are out and, and, and they're becoming available, and when when these rich countries tend to want to vaccinate all of their population first, before it can begin to get to the rest of the world, it's only going to serve to prolong the pandemic. Because as long as people are dying, as long as the disease is staying longer in other parts of the world, like in Africa, then you see mutations, right? Like we see in South Africa, we see that the new variants are, are showing up that the vaccines may not be effective against. And so, but if the vaccines are available and it gets to every part of the world, then we are able to arrest the virus in the tracks, and then we are able to, uh, you know, begin to recover quickly. So what we are seeing today is that um, this current method of I want to finish vaccinating all of my people before I, the rest of the world can have that is basically not the not the right strategy, and this is what we are speaking against. And that's the voice of Edwin Ikoria. He is the one in Africa director. We're looking at vaccine access in Africa. We're also looking at um, the challenges, the economic challenges that the continent is facing at the moment. How do we overcome these challenges? What opportunities are there that are presented? And how do how do Africans um, ensure that uh, you know they are their economies continue to grow amid this uh, pandemic COVID nineteen? Let's go for a break, and we'll continue with Edwin after that. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it. Don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think they should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective on the coronavirus. Coronavirus is a disease that causes respiratory illness like the flu with symptoms such as a cough, fever, and in more severe cases, difficulty breathing. You can protect yourself by washing your hands frequently, avoiding touching your face, and avoiding close contact one meter or three feet with people who are unwell. If you suspect to have contracted COVID-19, contact the relevant health authorities in your area. Keep listening to Channel Africa. The African perspective will keep you updated on the latest on the coronavirus. Welcome back. You're still listening to African Dialogue and we're speaking to Edwin Ekuria, who is one in Africa director. Edwin, how did you get into this kind of work? Um, your, your, your experience is, is from a, a perspective of social justice, a perspective of um, fighting for equality, gender equality and social equality. Um, I would say that it's, uh, it, I mean, it, it's a natural move for me because... Um, Given my background, you know, when you struggle through, um, you know, you struggle through poverty and you come out, you know, uh, you're able to get the skills and find your opportunities. You just know that it is important to also make sure that other people get the same access that you got because it's not, you know, it's not um, automatic that 
um, when you're born in poverty, you will remain in poverty. So within that space, you're able to uh, find the opportunity to work in the policy space to help, you know, build, uh, you know, uh, give attention to the things that affect the poorest people, number one. But more importantly, on the, on, from the point of view of um, what are the drivers, the structural drivers of, of poverty and inequality? And we see that particularly on the African continent, governance is a major part of that, particularly how we govern the resources. So uh, that is this, those, those are my major push, uh, my, my major incentives uh, that got me into the sector because I just thought that if, if we had better management of public resources, if resources are directed at the sectors that affect the poorest people, we are more likely to get a lot more people out of poverty than we currently have. Do you think there's enough social movements um, in, in the, on the continent, Edwin, because these are things that uh, people themselves should be standing up for and uh, standing up against in terms of corruption and, and so forth. But is there that will from, from Africans uh, to hold those who are in power to account to ensure that the services that they deserve, that they have a right to access, are delivered? Um, thank you. This is a very fundamental question. One of the things that we are pursuing right now is how do we build the ecosystem of accountability on the African continent. Um, the truth is this. I, I would say that there are many reasons why it doesn't look like Africans are actually demanding accountability from their leaders. Um, one of them, or the primary one of them, is the historical legacies of, of colonialism. When for many years we have... We have um, we have a system that is that is really patronage, a patronage system where only those that are close to the center of power are those that are able to speak or that, that, that have voice and have the means or access to, uh, you know, to the means. Um, then it becomes very difficult over time to you know, to build the the the, uh, the accountability framework in the minds of the generality of citizens because for many many years the people in power have not been as accountable as they should have been. And so what we are currently doing right now is that we are seeing pockets of those social movements. Uh, we've seen uh, several, what you would call resistance or restiveness among the young people telling their government that this cannot go on. And so we're trying to see how does this become a systemic process rather than an issue of, um, you know, of, of, of a revolution or that sort of thing that brings conflict, that brings fights, and that brings loss of lives. So it is how do we get a systemic change? And I think the, the biggest challenge here is that if African leaders want to sustain, um, that, uh, want to really bring people out of poverty, they should think about how they invest in systems that build trust with citizens. So that if uh, our citizens trust the government, then they can cooperate with the government to create the policies that they need. But right now, the level of trust in African, uh, uh, African governance has, is, is, is at its lowest. And this is what we've been trying to see how we can, uh, you know, how can we improve that ecosystem? And that's where we are today on the, on the continent. And the continent also has a lot of opportunities that it provides, a lot of potential. But poverty is still a very huge issue, which is one of the things that you, you highlighted as well. Um, you, you know, what are some of the things that, as Africans, we can be proud of when it comes to our continent? Oh, there are so many things to be proud of, I can tell you. Um, I agree that poverty is a major limiting factor, and poverty is a major um, it's, it's a major barrier to accessing equal uh, power. But I can tell you there are quite a number of things that we can be proud of. Number one is African resilience. Because to be, to be honest with you, the level of uh, deprivation that you see on the continent, this continent should have gone to flames 
That is the truth. But Africans are resilient. Africans are able to adjust. Africans are able to build a muscle to struggle through difficulties and then come out on top. Take out the number of Africans in the diaspora that are, that are you know, really breaking records in terms of academic achievement and professional achievements, right? In, in, in terms, in fact, during this COVID-19 uh, the pandemic, you've seen the different ways innovation that are showed up on the continent, right? So what we are basically seeing here is that it is, it is the, what we basically need here is the strategy, is the leadership that makes that the trends that have been developed, like the Agenda 2003 uh, that the African Union has promoted, actually translates into meaningful action on the ground, right? And so there are many things we're proud of, but like I tell you that there's still a lot of room to improve, a lot of room to get more people involved, and most importantly, to get the right investments that really translate into opportunities for, for Africa's young people. The number of young people in Africa right now can can really translate into what you call the demographic dividend if every of one of them gets the opportunity they need to be able to uh, you know to be productive and to really contribute to economic growth. But that has not happened yet, and we are still hoping that this is the next stage of our development. And what gives you gratification? I just want to see people happy, right? I derive my joy from seeing other people that are, that are you know happy. So. Um, there is a saying in our place to say a, uh, a rich man among five poor people, right, is a, is a sixth poor man, right? So what I'd like to see is a, a, a critical mass of, of professional, um, progressive Africans that will be able to translate this continent into its glory, to give it the glory that it deserves on the world stage. And when I see that happening, when I see young people getting into these spaces, talking openly, you know, uh, expressing themselves, uh, achieving uh, professionally, that gives me joy. That gives me real gratification. What are your hopes for the continent now? How do we turn around the image uh, of this continent and, and make it something that, um, you know, children, uh, generations later can look back and have this meaningful memory and know what to contribute to, to make sure that... Um, Africa is for Africans? Uh, look, this is a fantastic question you've just asked. The first thing I want to say before I get into that, into answering that, is that the battered image of Africa was not written by Africans, right? The stories about Africa are not really African stories. And that's the reason the first thing we want to start is with the narrative. If the U.S. is going to borrow money in the financial markets, they get it at 1% or even 0.5%. But if African countries are borrowing money in the financial markets, they get it at 8 9%, basically reflecting the risk, the perceived risk of the African continent. So the first thing we want to do is to change the narrative. We need to show the resilience, the beauty, the culture, the diversity, the potential of the African, uh, African continent, the resources that the Lord God has blessed us with. We need to showcase them. We need to show the talent, innovation of the African continent. We need to tell our own stories because it is not all gloom and doom. There are there are there are opportunities here to innovate, to really be the breadbasket of the world. And this is what we need to promote for our children coming out of be proud of their heritage as Africans. And that for me will be the thing that we in this generation need to start telling. Tell the African story from the point of uh, from the point of view of the pride. Of the African, uh, of the African citizen, and that for me might change the risk perception, and then create opportunities for the right investments to come into the continent. 
And that's where we'll leave it with you. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, that's the voice of Edwin Ikaria, who is one in Africa director. Thank you uh, and all the best uh, uh, going forward to you and the organization. Hello, Edwin. Yes, okay. thank you for having me this morning. Thank you so much. Uh, you can listen to that interview on our podcast later on if you've missed it. We were speaking to Edwin Ikoria, who is one in Africa director. And our website address is www.channelafrica.co.za.